Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Echo Chamber. I'm your host, Thea Boltman, and welcome to the show. This is the eighth episode. Ooh, pretty close to ten. Today, I'm not interviewing myself, which is really exciting. It's a new development, considering the last two episodes I've been talking to myself. Today's very exciting. This has been in development for a bit. Uh, well, not a bit, like a week, but still... I'm interviewing the MP Katie Allen. She is the Minister House of Representatives for Higgins, which is like Armadale Turak area, I believe. Uh, she's been in that position since May 2019. She's very interesting. She actually started in pediatrics, which is like child doctory, I believe. And then she moved to politics. Interesting career move. Um, yeah. She's a very interesting woman. She's got very interesting ideas. It's considering she is a doctor. She had really interesting opinions on COVID-19 from a scientific perspective. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. This is very exciting. Dr. Katie Allen will be on soon. Um, is there anything else I need to say? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, uh, email me anything, email me if you have any guests in mind or anything. This is our, I forgot to mention, this is our first interview we're doing on the phone, which is very exciting. We've never done that before, as you guys know. So this is a new development. Sorry if the audio isn't amazing. This is all very new to me and you. This is the first time I've done a phone interview. So yeah, here we go. Let's hope it works. Enjoy the episode. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome, Miss Dr. Katie Allen. Is there anything in particular you'd like me to call you, Miss Allen? Oh, call me Katie. Perfect. Um, let's get started. Katie, what brought you from pediatrics to politics? I have to say, if I uh, uh, got a dollar for every time I was asked that, I'd be totally a millionaire. And people do say, why on earth are you doing this? And I have to say, the main reason is that I got into paediatrics to make a difference and I've got into politics for exactly the same reason. There is something about trying to make a difference to the world uh, means finding a problem and solving it. And in paediatrics, I loved being a doctor. I come from a long line of doctors and I loved working with kids. But I was always trying to fix the system. And so I found myself going up upstream, so to speak, in fixing the problem. And I got to the point where I realised a lot of the problems um, are political problems. Um, problem. So, for instance, if you look at childhood ob- obesity, uh, you can see how uh, supporting more bike paths, making sure that um, there's, there, there might be a sugar tax, those sorts of things can actually help uh, kids to have a healthy start to life. Or making sure we invest in universities properly is going to make sure that our community is educated. So I loved being a doctor and then a medical researcher, and I've been a public health um, pediatrician for a long time. But I've always been trying to work out how to solve the problems, not just for individuals, but for the system as well. Hmm. Um, what would you say is your area of expertise and interest in Parliament? So I think there's sort of three areas. Obviously health, because I'm a paediatrician, and medical research. Uh, but I'm also interested in science and technology, being a medical researcher. So I've taken a very evidence-based science and technology approach to everything that I'm involved in. And I enjoy... 
looking to the expert opinion and synthesising and helping to use that to inform policy. Uh, I'm particularly interested in education because I think that is at the heart of increasing prosperity for Fiji. Uh, I think if you give people a good education, it gives them the tools to navigate life and to uh, navigate you know, having a prosperous life as well. And I was on the chair of a, um, a, board of a, host- a board of a local school, so I know quite a lot about the education system, but also being a professor in two universities, I know quite a lot about the uh, tertiary education system, as well as the primary and secondary education system. And then being a mother of four, I know, uh, and being a paediatrician, um, I'm very interested in um, early childcare as well. So the full spectrum of education is something that really interests me. Hmm. How do you think you've posit- positively influenced your electorate since winning the seat in May of 2019? Well, I think because I've lived in Higgins for 40 years, um, I haven't had to work hard to work out what people think because I've been listening for the last 40 years. I feel like I'm not just for Higgins, I'm actually of Higgins. And so I continue to listen. I, my door is always open. Um, I get hundreds of emails a day, I get dozens of phone calls a day, uh, and I'm always listening to um, everyone's um, uh, opinions and views. Uh, but as a, uh, in a member of parliament, I'm not a delegate, I'm a representative. So listening to people's views and then taking my experience and my knowledge and my expertise to inform views that uh, resonate with Higgins and represent Higgins is the way that I do it. Um, But I also uh, have a lot of um, interactions with uh, community leaders, uh, with key opinion leaders, things like I had a roundtable conference, um, actually had three roundtable conferences on the Religious Discrimination Act at the end of last year. Um, I'm about to do a Climate Solutions Tech Expo, um, which will be in the Malvern Town Hall later this year. Um, I'm in the middle of developing with UNICEF a youth advisory group for Higgins. I meet regularly with all the different traders groups um, across Higgins, the Ashburton Traders Group, the Turak South Yarra Traders Group, the Carnegie Traders Group. Um, I meet regularly with the different councils. I've got four councils in Stonington, so the Stonington CEO and Mayor uh, have regular meetings with all of the council mayors and CEOs. Um, and then there's also lots of community groups and volunteer groups that I meet with regularly as well. So I listen to all the individuals uh, who've got a voice and want a voice, but I also listen to community groups, key opinion groups and uh, leaders within the community as well. Hmm. Can I ask, just ask what your position on the Religious Discrimination Bill was? So Religious Discrimination Bill hasn't gone forward. It's been put on hold at this point in time. Um, I have um, some significant concerns. Mm, definitely. Uh, do you see any similarities between the way children behave in a playground and politicians behave in a question time? <laughs> it's interesting. People do get very upset about how contested question time is. In my view, uh, question time is, um, is theatre. And um, uh, my view going into politics is always to play the ball and not to play the man. And once things get too personal, I don't think anybody likes to know that. But if we're contesting ideas, if we're literally playing the ball and not the man, um, if you don't like it, don't watch it, as far as I'm concerned. Because Question Time is an hour and a half of like watching football or rugby on the television. I mean, some people don't mind all that sort of uh, tackling, and other people you know, do love watching it. So um, in my view, that isn't what politics is mostly like. That's an hour and a half of a contested, debatable space, and... It is a bit of theatre. If you turn on Parliament any other time of the day and listen to all the speeches that are given, 
I think it's like watching paint dry for some people. It seems very boring. But that is actually most of what goes on in Parliament is a lot of back-to-back speeches that you would say isn't very interesting to the media. But more than that, Parliament isn't just about uh, question time and speeches. It's also about committees. And I'm on seven committees, and um, that's the formal um, House and Joint Committees. But I'm also on a whole lot of backbench policy committees. I'm also on a lot of parliamentary friends of groups uh, committees as well. So altogether, I'm about 25 committees, huge amounts of committee work. And that's where a lot of the influence is happening and a lot of contests and ideas are happening. And most people don't see that until we deliver an inquiry report. So um, we've just got three inquiry reports being delivered in the last week. One is on diversification of trade, the others is on allergies, and the third one is on 5G. Uh, so the first one's looking to see how can we make sure that we have a, a lot of different exports that we can increase outside the resource sector so that we can have action on climate change by building jobs uh, for people outside of the resource sector. So there's got to be a lot of background work before you can say, let's act on climate change. You've actually got to build jobs and in industry for people to actually have prosperous lives outside of that sector. Or 5G, for instance, we want to understand what's the cybersecurity risk of it. We want to understand if there's any health problems with it. But then we want to know what's the capabilities for the Internet of Things. And then in, in, in allergies, we know there's a rise in allergies. What can we do about it? So these are really important questions that are um, uh, very important inquiries with reports delivered on a regular basis. And we go out to the community, we travel around Australia and we get people to tell us, what's your view on allergy, the rise in allergy? What's your view um, on trade, trade and investment growth and barriers to trade? So we're constantly reaching out as a parliament to the general community to get information and produce reports, which then the government responds to. And then lastly, the other thing about being in Parliament is the conversations as well. So there's the speeches, there's the committee work, and then there's the conversations. And it's a great thrill and a great privilege to serve the people of Higgins by sitting on a bench next to the Prime Minister in a division and saying, what do you think about this? And getting, you know, a real view on something very in a very casual setting, um, but a very obviously high-impact setting. Hmm. Uh how do you do? You, oh, whoops! How has the vibe in Parliament changed since COVID nineteen? Well, I um, have been up since COVID nineteen. I've been up three times to Parliament, and each time it's been slightly different. The first time um, I was one of the few MPs. I think there were only thirty one coalition MPs who went up, and no staff went up, and it was really weird because there was nobody in Parliament. We kind of all been very careful. We weren't group meeting as a group. Um, when we um, had our briefing before we go to Parliament, we all stood 1.5 metres apart. We were all hand sanitising and in Parliament itself, we all had to sit in different seats. So it did feel very weird. The second time I went up, there were more MPs um, who were there and um, thought we were making a lot of big decisions, uh, for instance, rolling out the JobKeeper program. And I got to be one of the three coalition members to make a speech on that so I feel very proud um, to be uh, asked to do that and uh, there were some really important decisions made on that single day uh, and again it was it was quite weird because we weren't all there and then the last time we went back um, there was a few days of parliament and more committee meetings and uh, even though we still do social distancing there was more face to face and it seemed to feel more normal again so I think the next time we'll go back it'll be completely back to normal again. Mm. 
Just wondering, do you think you'll be part of the discussion in terms of where the extra $60 billion goes? Well, I don't think as a Liberal I would think about it like that. So let me be very clear. The $60 billion isn't money that we'd already spent. It's not like we're saving this money. Uh, What happened was we said we think we're going to have to help 6.5 million people based on how many um, told us they needed to be helped. And we left it to the businesses to say, we've got this many employees. But some of them, instead of saying, I've got one employee, they put in, we need $1,500 per employee. So they put $1,500 in instead of one, because that's how much you get from JobKeeper is $1,500 a fortnight. So you can see that there are 990,000 businesses and 900... Oh, you know, 899,999 did the right thing and put one, and then 1,000 businesses put the amount of money, not the amount of people, and that completely stuffed up the whole um, uh, equation. Now, that's not money that we were going to... Well, obviously, you say we were going to spend and we're going to go into debt, but we didn't spend it, so we haven't overspent or underspent. What it's saying is the economy won't be badly hit now, do remember that three months ago, we thought we were on the Italy curve. We thought we were on the UK curve. We thought we might even be on the US curve. And we have been managed, able to manage and dodge the bullet, the healthcare bullet, or the health bullet of COVID. I think we all feel pretty proud to be Australians. And the issue is this is raised that we've actually dodged a second bullet, a second economics bullet. We'd already been wondering, gosh, how are we ever going to deal with $130 billion payoff of this? How is this going to happen? And it was going to be your generation that we're going to suffer. So we are very pleased that we don't have to spend that much money. But more importantly, what it says is there are not that many people hurting out there that we thought might happen. And that's partly because we haven't had such a bad healthcare outcome. Mm. Uh, Since COVID-19 began, do you feel as though you've been able to form stronger relationships with people from other political parties? Yes, I've always been very open to the ideas, not necessarily the person's colour that they are from a party point of view. So I've always always had quite good relationships with people across the floor. I think that um, the electorate, my electorate expects me to be open to all ideas, doesn't matter which party they come from. Um, I actually personally think that every politician who goes in pretty much agrees on what the problem is. I don't reckon anybody disagrees on what the problem is. And that is we want Australia to be safe, healthy and prosperous. No one disagrees. So if it's not safe and if it's not healthy, if it's not prosperous, everyone will say that's a problem. That, that's kind of not contested. The only contest is how to solve the problem. And when you're in a company and you have a CEO, the CEO usually gets to choose. And some people might complain about it, but they don't usually have a very strong voice in changing the CEO's view. Well, our democracy is like having a CEO and an alternate CEO all arguing constantly about the direction that we should take. So no one has a problem with the problem. They have a problem with the solution. So in general, I'm quite open-minded about my colleagues, my Labor and Greens and Crossbench colleagues, because they may have a difference of way how, how to solve it. But in general, the parties tend to think in a very different philosophical way so Labor tends to think about um, how to solve the problem by redistributing wealth and saying, we'll take money from one group of people, give it to another to redistribute the wealth. The Liberal Party would tend to say, let's make the pie bigger so there's more money to give out to everybody. So it's just a difference of opinion. And that does drive fundamental differences to the solution that we're trying to get to. Now, the Greens, um, and I have a lot of respect for the Greens with regards to their 
um, concerns about climate action um, and some of their other concerns, but because they don't have to deliver government, they don't have to ever really put a price tag on it, so it's very easy to promise the moon when you don't have to deliver it. So even though I'm very um, sympathetic to some of the Greens' views, I'm not as sympathetic to thinking about it without thinking about the economics of what you're doing. And that's what our party is, very strong and economic. So we want to solve the problems in an economically responsible way. Um, the other thing about the Greens is they um, have an underpinning, an economic underpinning, which is more extreme to the left of the Labor Party. So uh, they don't believe in private health care and they don't believe in private education, while as Liberals we believe in choice. So um, they, they think everyone should go to state school and they don't believe in supporting independent schools and religious schools. Mm. Uh, you've, previously, you've previously said that you're an avid supporter of marriage equality. Considering this, how do you deal with some of your fellow Liberal Party members fighting against it and even some of your peers suggesting conversion therapy be legalised? Uh, I haven't heard, um, I've never directly heard any of my colleagues saying conversion therapy should be legalised, but that is not the government position and the government and the Prime Minister and all the ministers are one on one with this. It should be illegal. Um, and it is a state issue, but I understand the Victorian state government also believes it should be illegal. And in fact, under the Human Rights Act at the moment, it's at the state level, it is, in, it is in fact illegal. What's happened with some gay conversion therapy is that some things happened 30 and 40 years ago that should never have happened and there are people who are still suffering the consequences of that. I think it is um, less of a problem now than it was 30 or 40 years ago and that is the way it should remain. But um, in my view, there's no, no government at this point in time that has a view that gay conversion therapy should ever be legalised and it should be made legal. I don't think there's anyone against that. Now, in our party, there, it is true, we are a party of freedom of speech, so we uh, um, do allow people to say things that we might not all agree on. And um, in my view, it's not... Um, everyone has a right to a view as long as it's, it's respectful. And the problem with um, discussion about a conversion therapy is very distressing for some members of society. So I can understand how hearing those views can be very distressing for some members of society, and I think that is terrible. On the other hand, I also think that some comments that some public figures have made about gay conversion therapy have shone a light on what has been regarded as shocking for many people in the community. And that can in itself can be a very powerful advocate for normalising um, uh, a more respectable, not normalising, but in helping to bring people um, out of the dark into the light, I might say. So sometimes the reaction people get to this very unusual thinking or ideologically driven thinking can help um, get the more normal <laughs> thinking people to argue very strongly that this is wrong. Because I think if, if we didn't have people saying we some of these silly things, then some people would not even be aware it's a problem. Hmm. Uh, do you believe that all citizens in Australian pr prisons, regardless of their sentence, deserve the right to vote? I don't actually know what the correct state, what the status of it is now. What is the status? Currently, is if you have a sentence of under three years, then you have the right to vote. Yes. Well, I have to say, I'll have to take that one notice and do my homework. I don't like to answer questions I'm not fully informed on, and the fact that I didn't know the answer to that question is a bad reflection on me, but one that I would be love to come back onto a podcast and ask formally, so that I can think about it in a proper, a proper way. But 
me, I think if you're a citizen of this country, you should be allowed to vote is my general principle. Um, and I wasn't aware that you couldn't vote if you had more than three years um, of a jail sentence. Mm. Thank you for the education. <laughs> Um, in November 2019, on the ABC, you claimed that emissions have fallen dramatically since 2005. After multiple fact checks by the ABC and scientists, this claim was proven to be incorrect. By misleading the public, do you not see that you are slowing action on climate change? So there's a lot in that, and it is a very, um, that's a very uh, uh, misleading uh, statement that you've just made, actually, Theo. So the first thing is, I did not say they've dramatically fallen. I said... They have fallen rather than, and I hadn't, didn't say per capita, which is absolutely correct. So I was referring to figure one of the National Emissions Report, which shows that per capita they are falling. And I didn't put per capita in and Pat Conroy cut across me. Now, if you look at the fact check, and I spoke to the fact check journalists, they said, oh, because you didn't put in per capita, then you are misleading. But they did put at the bottom that I was correct, that they are falling per capita. And overall, since 2005, they have fallen. So it's just the way that you want to use statistics to make your point. My point was that our population has grown, but per capita our emissions are falling. And I was going on to make the comment that we have a lot of um, a, a rising problem with regards to um, not using enough um, technology to get us to where we want to go to. So I was about to make a larger point and I got interrupted. And to be fair, it doesn't say... The fact checker said that it could be seen as misleading. It didn't say that I, well, I was lying. It was just saying it could be seen as being misleading because I, I left out the words per capita. So I've been a very strong advocate for climate action and I've written two opinion pieces in The Age on that and I have advocated very strongly for an increased um, commitment to a carbon neutral future and that we should be using technology, not taxes, to get there. And I've been a very strong advocate for day one on that and very proud of my record. Uh, it, how can a young politically savvy kid like me get involved in politics? Do we just get up and move to Canberra when we turn 18? Yeah, I think you can advocate. It's like asking how can you be a leader? Uh, you can be a leader each and every day in lots of, of different ways, and it's the same with being politically active. So you can be politically active by writing a letter to your MP or ringing your MP and then being your representative. You can write uh, to... Um, submissions to inquiries um, of committees, parliamentary committees that are go ongoing, um, you can write petitions. So, um, or you can put your hand up and join a party, um, or you can come up, you know, put your hand up and run for parliament. So there are many different ways that you can make a contribution. You can write letters to the editor, you can do blogs, uh, and also you can do podcasts. So there's lots of different ways that you can aerate political debate um, and um, in, in get, help other people engage in um, feeling like they can make a significant contribution contribution, and that their voice can be heard. Mm. Uh, this pandemic has revealed that the government can handle a crisis much better when they listen to the experts. Do you think that, that the coalition should now start listening to the climate experts in order to take effective action on the climate crisis? So, again, your, your question is very loaded because it's implying that we don't listen to the experts. And we do have a, a chief scientific officer, Alan Finkel, who I've worked with very closely, and we have been listening to the experts. And, again, no one in my party at this point in time doesn't agree we need to take action. We will disagree about how to get there. So we are talking about a carbon-neutral future. We have signed up to the Paris Agreement. We do believe that Australia has a role to play internationally in 
uh, diplomacy with regards to ensuring that everyone participates because Australia has a contribution to make, but so does the rest of the world. Um, and I think the whole world is pivoting to a, a, an understanding that we all need to move to a greener, cleaner future. But we don't want to just displace the problem from one country to another. We all need to work together on that. And um, that is a very big question that um, has uh, stymied many countries around the world. But I do feel very positive about where we're heading. I think it's incredibly interesting that we've had such a massive drop in emissions from COVID. What it shows is we're going to have to make dramatic changes to our lives at both a personal level, a community level, but also at a government level. And we need to invest in uh, finding new sources of energy um, and new ways of using energy to make sure that emissions come down as fast as we can get them down so that everyone can have a safe future, mm. including the planet. Uh, what are the top three things young people can look forward to when this pandemic is over? My guess is hanging out with their mates, um, going to the movies and going out for dinner. Mm. And just as a final fun question, you don't have to answer this. Um, what's Scott Morrison really like? <laughs> <laughs> I really like him, actually. Um, he is surprisingly evidence-based in that um, I'm quite keen on what the evidence is. And, in fact, with COVID, we were arguing about something and he pulled up a fact that I didn't know about. And I'm like, mate, you're, com- you're, you're correcting my evidence base. <laughs> so he's really – what you see is what you get. Um, I know he's – you know, lots of people have different views about the Prime Minister, but he is a genuine guy. He's – Sounds on television just like he sounds off television. He is not interested in... Um, he's inter- he seems to be in de- genuinely interested in delivering for people. So what happens, he came to Higgins before the electorate, uh, before the election, uh, it's around you know, just over 12 months ago. Uh, he said, Katie, I just want to come and meet you and meet constituents. So can you ring up a few friends who are not part of the Liberal Party... Um, get a few of them to come down to the pub. So we went to the Malvern pub on Malvern Road and 150 people turned up because word spread. And, um, and I just sort of, we walked around different people and he said hello to them. And then at the end he said, do you, have you had dinner? And I said, no. And he said, look, let's, I haven't had dinner. Let's pop into this room. I'd never met him before, by the way. And we sat down. He had palm, chicken parma and I had bruschetta. <laughs> And he showed me his photos of his kids. I showed him a photo of my kids. We talked about climate action and asylum seekers. He asked me a bit about myself. And um, he was just very, just decent, reasonable, authentic sort of guy, actually. Mm. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for your time. And what do you want to do with your life here? Um, I hope to be, I, I want to be in the Senate just because I feel like I could really like handle the energy in there. But also, like, Foreign Affairs Minister looks pretty cool. <laughs> ah, fantastic. And have you joined a party? Not really. I do a lot of work for the climate organisations, but I don't really feel like I fit into a party right now. Mm. That's good to be open-minded. That's very important. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Pleasure. Lovely to have a chat. Thanks so Go much. Well. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. See ya. Well, oh, my God. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to the episode. I think that's been my favorite episode so far. That felt great. Um, yeah, she was really interesting. It was nice to hear about Scott Morrison. 
yeah thanks so much for listening to the episode i felt like that was a really great discussion um yeah not much else email me at beyond the echo chamber at gmail.com if you have any questions and that's about it thanks for listening to the podcast everyone another another fantastic oh that sounds a bit narcissistic on my behalf i meant like another great interviewee not another great episode as if you know i'm just gonna leave it there